The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everyone. I'm Haley Hubbard, mom to three kids and wife to a touring artist. And I'm Jessica Diamond, a registered dietitian nutritionist with a master's in public health. And this is Meaningful Living. Every week, we're breaking down the overwhelming amount of parenting, nutrition, and lifestyle information into credible knowledge and simple tools. The Cliff Notes Guide to Feeling Confident in Your Everyday Choices. It takes a village. We're so excited to share ours with you. Hey, Jess. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. I'm so excited for today's conversation. Today, we're talking to Dr. Karen Adderson and Vanessa Kroll Bennett. They're puberty experts in the midst of parenting their own kids that are teens and tweens themselves. And they are the host of such an amazing podcast, The Puberty Podcast. If you don't follow or listen to their show and you have a teenager, go listen now. So today we're talking all about sex and our bodies, all of the uncomfortable subject matters that during this conversation, we figured out how to make them a little more comfortable. So we hope you love and learn as much as we did. I am thrilled that we're having this conversation because just a couple of days ago, we were on a little trip with our friends and we were laughing and we're like, you know, their kids are starting to ask like, how does a baby get made? And he's four, almost five. And and our kids are one, two, and four. And I know those questions are coming up. And we're like, oh gosh, what are what are we gonna say? And my friend, she was laughing. She's like, I think I told him a little too much. <laughs> and it's like, but where's that fine line? I wanna be honest with my kids of like, how is a baby made? What age can you start talking to them about that? And what's an appropriate way to start talking to a toddler about that? And then and then we'll get into like you know, the older real birds and the bees chat. Well, I can lead off from the pediatrician point of view. And then Vanessa, maybe you want to tag team with me. My kids are 16 and 18. Vanessa has four kids that range from 11 to now 19, right, Vanessa? Mm -hmm. And, And so between the two of us, we've been through this six times. And the great news is that you're asking the question because this is the absolute most predictable question every and any parent will get is, where did I come from? Or how did I get here? Or what is sex? And usually it's all three of them. It's just paced out over time. There is no one age when they ask. And there is no one predictable moment when they'll ask, except maybe if you follow Murphy's Law. And then the predictable moment is the least... (laughs) sort of the the least appropriate or the least convenient time imaginable is probably when they'll ask. But I'll tell you my kids' story. My kids are fine with me sharing this story, so I'll share it with you. My daughter was in the fourth grade and had not asked. My son was in the second grade. And he looked at me one night and he said, I just need to know how I got out. I know I grew inside your belly. I need to know how I got out. That was his first question. And we can get into how to answer and how I You're answered. You're like, really? You're going to lead off with that? You know, that actually, question? I, I did what every parent really, the best parenting tip in the universe, what I've always told people to do. I said, that's so interesting. What made you ask that question? Because when you get caught off guard, right, that's a great way to respond. And he said, I just need to know, did you fart me out? right? Because he was a second grade boy. Um, And I said, no, 
which was honest. And so then we could move on from there and I could get into the conversation with him. After I had a very brief conversation, and it should be brief because you should really be answering the question asked when they're young and they can always ask for more or you can ask them if they want more. But after I answered the very brief question, I then went into my daughter's room and I said, your brother just asked a question that you have never asked. (laughs) And I'm curious if you're curious. And my daughter at the time had a lot of trouble falling asleep. This was a chronic issue for her night after night. I've never seen someone fall asleep so quickly in my life. She literally shut the world out. She's like, mom, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. She shut, literally shut down, came into my bedroom at five the next morning, tapped me on the shoulder and said, Vanessa, have I not told you the story? Your mouth no, is like, No, hey, I don't know open. this. How do I not know I the don't story? Know. So she came into my bedroom five in the morning and she tapped me on the shoulder and said, I would like to know how I got out and I would like to know how I got in. so i would add yeah i mean so here's what i would say before you even get to the questions about sex or how they got out or how they got in i don't know if my kids have ever no they have asked me how they got out which is so funny it's like getting out of jail or something how they escaped (laughs) but one of the most important things that we encourage parents to do is to use the anatomically correct vocabulary for all body parts, including male and female sex and reproductive organs. So penis and vagina, vulva, testicles. And a lot of people did not grow up using those words. A lot of people don't feel comfortable using those words out loud now. And that's totally normal. It's super, super common. However, research tells us that children who know the names of all of their body parts have better bodily autonomy. They are less likely to be the victims of sexual predators. They are generally safer than children who do not know the names of their body parts. And so it's hard and it's intimidating. And maybe you both want to talk about that side of things as people who are about to embark on it, but it's super, super important. That's funny. You brought that up. Literally, we had this today. So I have this little doll where like I can teach breastfeeding or kind of newborn stuff with clients all the time. And it's an anatomically correct baby and it's a girl. And so Bryce, my little one today was like, this is a baby. And then he pointed and he's like, the baby has a penis. And I was like, no, that's not a penis. That's a vagina. And he's like, no, 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 mommy, that's a tush. That's a butt. That's not a vagina. And it was like this moment where I was like, okay, well, first of all, I'm glad that he knows that a penis is a penis. Like that, that's good that we're using that. But it was this moment where I'm like, okay, is that the right move to do? Is it right mm. to kind of anatomically explain this? And when he's saying it's a baby, like he doesn't understand yet right now. It's like, to me, this is a baby. Like babies are boys or girls, whatever I'm imagining in that moment. But it was that moment where I like froze as a parent. You did that perfect. Thank you. That I, I think it's always uncomfortable. We had an episode with Chriselle Lim that was hysterical. She said that her mom told her literally and different name for vagina her entire life. And it wasn't until she was older and around her friends and said it that she even realized that that wasn't the word for it. When I was in practice, I would keep a list of all the pet names that people would give. The hoo-ha, the JJ. I mean, that was like (laughs) the beginning of the list, right? 
Oh, my in-laws in England call it a mushy, which is <laughs> like, I don't know. That's not very nice. But like, imagine this, you go to your pediatrician or your kid goes to the pediatrician and they say, my, you know, my mushy hurts. And the pediatrician's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, that's safety, right? Knowing what it's called, if you have mm-hmm. pain or discomfort or anything, that's really important. But for a lot of adults, it takes getting over their own discomfort or maybe even not knowing, like, what's the difference between a vulva and a vagina? Most adults don't know the answer to that. And so how do you teach your kid if you're not sure, you know, the right answer yourself? Yeah. Haley, have your kids asked? They really haven't. They haven't asked yet. Olivia is our four-year-old. She's very curious about, you know, she'll pretend she has a baby in her tummy because she saw me pregnant two times and and she would see the babies moving and so she'll like move her belly up and down and and she's like I'm I've been pregnant for two years now you know she's <laughs> she pretends like she has this baby in her belly forever we're like well when's the baby coming out and she's like I don't know maybe tomorrow so there's that talk and I know that eventually that's going to lead to something else but but that's so interesting that you were talking about the anatomic names for things. That's what we talk to our kids about. I've never actually said vulva or testicles with them, but we say vagina and penis. But when I was growing up, we called it a peach and, (laughs) and I didn't ever learn the boy parts. I don't, not that I remember. I think I just learned it on my own later on. So there was a peach and there was nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) And that was before call me by your name came out. And it was, it was, did you, I don't know if you guys have seen that movie, but that scene is quite something. All right, you guys, let's take a quick break to talk about the best new paint company, Claire. You know, now I'm loving Claire so much. I've been on this DIY kick at home lately. Really, actually, if I think about it, it's been the past two years, but the one thing that I'd been putting off was painting Bryce's room. And I finally ripped off the bandaid thanks to Claire. Uh, you know, for so long, I just didn't want to go back and forth to go find paints and figure out the options and just figure out what I needed and then finding the right paint, right? That had zero VOC and all the items in it that I wanted. And so Claire came into my life and I couldn't be happier. And because they're a sponsor, they're giving you an amazing discount. Okay. So what makes Claire so special? They're a new online paint brand that makes paint shopping simple and fun from start to finish. First, the founder and CEO is an interior designer themselves. So all the colors are designer curated and gorgeous. So it's fewer options. You're not overwhelmed by thousands of paint colors, just expertly curated, amazing colors. Once you find some colors you like, they then send you these I'm obsessed with these mess free peel and stick paint swatches that you can move around on the walls and they don't damage your walls. Then you pick out your paint and they send you premium paint and supplies straight to your door. It is so easy. On top of that, the quality of Claire paint is just incredible. You know, we are all about creating a healthy home and finding products that we feel good about. And all Claire paints are made with conscious ingredients to ensure the lowest possible impact to both our health and the environment. They're all zero VOC and Green Guard Gold certified and meet the most stringent chemical emission standards. They're formulated without any toxic air contaminants like formaldehyde, which sadly is in other paints, and without any of the hazardous air pollutants or EPA chemicals of concern. Basically, 
Claire is perfect for painting a nursery or your entire home, whether you have kids or not. Claire has literally thought through every detail to help make your paint job easy and inspiring and hassle-free so you can tackle it with confidence without leaving your home, that is. If you're thinking about painting any space, you've got to try Claire. Visit Claire at www.claire.com slash living to get started and use code living to receive $5 off your first gallon of paint. That's www.claire.com slash living with code living for $5 off. Let's take a quick break to talk about my new favorite non-alcoholic drink, Gia. You've heard me talk about them before because I am loving them so much and I'm such a fan of mocktails. Gia is a non-alcoholic aperitif made with only good ingredients. No sugar added, no fake flavor, and it's vegan and gluten-free. It's a grown-up indulgence that tastes like summer on the rocks. That means it can be enjoyed by mothers-to-be or during your long overdue bubble bath when you're not in the mood for another glass of regular wine or the hangovers the next day or if drinking alcohol just isn't your thing. And because they're a sponsor of our show, we've got an amazing discount for you. Gia's mission is to change the way we think about drinking and socializing. It's inspired by Mediterranean aperitivo culture, which you know I love and dream about often, and is meant to be enjoyed as you wish, on ice, spritzed, mixed, spiked, or straight. It is responsibly sourced, made from only real plants. Only good ingredients, no flavors in it, and it's 0.0% alcohol. And since it was designed for flavor, not function, they focus on using ingredients in their purest form. And trust me, you can tell with each sip. And their packaging uses either biodegradable or recyclable materials. Nothing not to love about Gia. They have what they call Les Spritz, which are ready-to-drink single-serve cans of their signature formulas of Gia Soda or Gia Ginger, both so amazing. They also have the Aperitif, which is bright and bitter with hints of citrus and florals and what I'm loving paired with a good home-cooked meal. You can get Gia through their website and at more than 500 stockists across the country. Gia's here for a good time and a long time. For 20% off your first sips, go to drinkgia.com and use code LIVING at checkout. Text the hotline 707-TXT-GHIA, which is 707-898-4442 if you have any questions. There's always a real human on the line to help out, and you'll look forward to them after a long day. But it won't affect you when your alarm goes off in the morning. You'll love them. Now let's get back to our conversation. Hi, we're Carlene and Jill, hosts of Breaking Beauty Podcast, the show all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. On our show, you're going to find hella inspiring guests like Emily Weiss of Glossier, and you'll get beauty tips galore from the top pros in the industry, like Kim Kardashian's makeup guru, and you'll hear skincare secrets from the likes of Dr. Pimple Popper. Plus, you'll get shopping help with our Damn Goods episodes, where we review the latest products hitting store shelves to let you know what's actually worth your money. Listen every Wednesday to Breaking Beauty Podcast. Yeah. I mean, the other thing, so kids can learn all that. I mean, it's amazing. Your kids sound like they're well on their way. I mean, the other thing that you can start younger is talking about consent, which, you know, for those of us who are adults, we think of consent in terms of sex, like do I or don't I want to have sex with this person? But with little kids, you can teach them about consent and bodily autonomy long before they're ever in a position where they're intimate with somebody else. And it's really about like, this is my body. This is your body. I'm going to respect your boundaries. You're going to respect my boundaries. I mean, I'm sure you with 
with kids three and four, I sure, I'm sure you deal with that day in and day out about who they can touch and how they can touch people. I mean, how do you guys handle mm-hmm. it when you're, when you're in that position? I mean, with hitting right now, our two-year-old is liking to, to hit his older sister. He's, he's having a harder time communicating verbally. And so he's taking it out in other ways. And so, you know, we, we're super strict on, you know, Olivia asked you to please stop and we need to respect her space and I need to keep you safe and I need to keep her safe, but that's her body and you can't touch her body unless she says it's okay. But I I mean, that's kind of what we've been doing in in that sense. But even in the bathtub, I'm like, do you want to wash your privates or do you want me to wash your privates? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's That's the right thing to do. No, Um, that's, that's, that's right. That's exactly right. I've, I've actually kind of wondered that because I've also heard I had a therapist a couple of years ago at onsite and she was talking about how she actually when she was wiping her son, she would she would communicate like I'm about to wipe you. And and I don't know her verbiage. It was so good and I'm not going to do it justice. But she was saying, you know, explaining that that was his body and and only he could touch his body. I'm sure you guys could could help me out with this one. But what is some language around that? And and what is the importance of that? Well, I mean, it's exactly the road that you're going down, right? Bodily autonomy, that limit setting in terms of touch is critical. And so two very good examples that I'm sure you guys come across all the time is a family member or a close family friend who shows up and they go to say hello. And what do we say as parents? Give Uncle Morty a hug. And it's like, why? Why are we telling our kids to embrace someone who they've never met? And sometimes kids do it. And sometimes kids are reluctant to. And I, I do think it's something to catch ourselves doing as parents. I also think it's something that when a child says, I have limits, no, that's totally appropriate. That's a kid who has already internalized limits. So one better strategy might be say hello to your Uncle Morty. Mm. Or if you want to be a little bit more engaged, I mean, it's COVID, so all of these roles have gone out the window. But in non-pandemic times, it's, you know, you want to give your Uncle Morty a high five. You know, there's there are lots of places between a hug and nothing. So that's one thing. The other is keeping a list of the people for whom it's all right to see you naked, or to touch your body. That Ooh, list, especially in the toddler years, is really critical mm. because it gives certain people permission. And those people, I believe, should be the people who are living under the roof of the house, who are often parents, but not always. And then the healthcare providers that are caring for a child and name those healthcare, Dr. So-and-so who does your checkup. You know, that's it should be a very short list. And frankly, it should not necessarily be all inclusive in a way that, you know, you're not, you're not naming grandparents, you're not naming siblings, you're not naming people for whom there can be confusion around limit setting. And those are very safe people, but they're people who just shouldn't necessarily be touching. And the first question that may come into your mind is, well, what if you know, grandma comes over and does the babysitting. Well, then, and does the diaper changing, then that's a good person to put on the list, right? But it's going to be different in every home and it's going to look different in every family. It's just three, four, five people on a very short list. I was just thinking it would be actually, it's a cute thing to do on a 
rainy day if you have those in LA where you, you know, your child can draw those people, right? If they're, they're in the pre-writing stage. So instead of having you write it for them, they can draw the pictures of the people who are allowed to, you know, hug them or allowed to help them wipe in the bathroom or whatever. And the other thing is, I was thinking about the, how do you handle a sibling, right? A younger sibling who's frustrated, doesn't have his language yet. He's hitting, grabbing, squeezing, whatever. And a four-year-old who does have language. And it's actually, I mean, as annoying as it is to get hit or kicked or pinched or bitten by a two or three-year-old, we've all been there. It's actually a great opportunity for your daughter to practice her own, using her own voice and to practice, get in the habit of saying, please don't touch my body that way. That doesn't feel good. That hurts. This is my body. Please don't touch my body, right? It, it gives her all of the mm-hmm. empowerment to practice that language because then she gets to school and school is like the perfect storm of people touching each other in all sorts of ways they don't want to be touched. And she'll she'll have built that muscle already, which is pretty awesome when someone's playing with her hair or touching the sequins on her shirt or wanting to sit in her lap. You know, she can she'll have that that ability when she walks I through love the door. That. And from your end as parents, always explain why. With any conversation around body, touching, consent, sex, you want to complete the thought of answering the question why. So your four-year-old does not have to articulate why. But when you're helping your two-year-old set the limit, you can say, it's not okay to touch her body because it's her body and she gets to decide who touches it. Always finish that thought. It Mm -hmm. helps build a rationale so that he can take your rule and apply it elsewhere. It is hard to be two or even three. I find three harder. I don't believe in the terrible twos. I just think nothing, nothing alliterates well with three and three is really hard because they are, they understand exactly how they feel and their ability to articulate is really quite limited. And so the frustration tends to peak around three. And I, I like what you said about that of the why, because so much of it is is learning, right? When they hear us say things, they're learning how to articulate that language. And all I can think about is, okay, so let's say tomorrow Bryce walks in and says, how, where do babies come from? I think our tendency sometimes about sensitive subjects is we get so caught off guard that we just kind of word vomit. And so what, what would you say? Okay. Or change the subject, right? (laughs) People do one or the other. They either go on and on and on and like dump back up the truck and just dump it all over. Or they're like, what do you want for dinner tonight? (laughs) (laughs) So Vanessa, do you want to role play it out for them? Maybe we can help them out this way. Let's do that. Okay. So Cara, do you want me to be Bryce or do you want to be? Yes. I do. Okay. I want you to be the three-year-old because okay. you're very good at that. <laughs> I'm really good at doing children's We're going to make it a short talent. role play because it could go in 20 different directions, but just we'll give you the first couple of sentences, okay? Go. Mommy, how are babies made? Bryce, that's such an interesting question. What made you think about that? I saw this like video on YouTube with like, little baby kittens. And I was wondering if it's the same for people. Oh, so you learned how baby kittens were made or you just saw baby kittens and you were wondering where they came from too? 
Yes. Like, could you have baby kittens? <laughs> okay. You see how this, where this goes. And so the point of starting it for you is to get some context around where the question is coming from, because his question is not, tell me about how sperm fertilizes an egg. And yet so often we go right there and that is not what his question is about, right? Um, now it could be, and he might say, oh, I read in a book or I was on the bus. Oh my gosh, when they go to kindergarten and they get on the bus, right? They learn all <laughs> sorts of things, the whole world Bus is where everything happens. <laughs> everything happens. Oh, so it, that may very well be the question that comes off the bus. But at three and four, usually the question is exactly as Vanessa described. And you can keep drilling down to understand what the question is before you answer. You don't have to run away from the question though. Right. So Vanessa, do you want to sort of share one strategy for how you would answer kind of the prompt that you left? So I think part of it is letting kids know that families are made in all different ways, right? A biologically created child where a penis was inside a vagina and the sperm fertilized an egg is only one of actually many, many ways that families are made. And we live in communities where families are literally made in a dozen different ways. And so creating that inclusivity in our homes, I think, is a really important step because it leaves our kids open-minded. So that's something I really like mm. to emphasize when I talk to kids about it. And then it's also not always about the like full process, like the full sexual act once you decide. I mean, I'll tell you when my kids were, two of my kids were probably like eight and 10. This is to go along with Cara's story. We were sitting at the dinner table. It was like a Monday night where all things go badly. And I usually end up like screaming at my kids and getting up from the table. And now they sort of like laugh about it. But I'm like, yeah, it wasn't funny when you were little. So they were eight and 10. And one of them said to me, you know, what, how do you, how do you make a baby? And I did the, you know, well, babies are made in a lot of different ways. And they're like, yeah, but like, what's the deal with the penis and the vagina? So I was like, okay. I said, one way is a man puts his penis inside a vagina, the sperm comes out it and it fertilizes the egg. And they both looked at me and they were like, oh my God, stop talking. And that was... <laughs> <laughs> and I, and that was it. And it was like, I gave them, you know, the literal piece, but you yeah. wouldn't do that with a toddler. And some people might say, I think an eight and 10 year old are old enough. I mean, you were saying, Haley, your friend was concerned that she was giving her kids too much information. I think eight and 10, it's appropriate. Those are kids who possibly are in puberty or about to begin puberty. But Cara, how would you do the, you've got a four-year-old, you've drilled down and they do actually want to know biologically how a baby is made. What would, what's the answer you would give? Yeah. So I would separate out sex and fertilization for a four-year-old. And I would say male bodies, bodies with penises make, and maybe we should be specific about that, but you know, it, it feels like Maybe it's a little PC, but we should be calling them bodies with penises. I think bodies with vaginas in terms of how we talk about reproduction here, because there, as Vanessa said, there are so many different ways that families are constructed, but you can say bodies with penises make sperm and bodies with vaginas make eggs. And it takes a sperm and an egg coming together to make a baby. And so a body with a penis 
will, I was going to say secrete, but you're not going to use that <laughs> word with a four-year-old, will um, put its sperm near a body with a vagina that has an egg. They are done with that, the information there at four with one giant asterisk. And I don't want to go down sort of a dark, sad road, but there's a lot of pornography out there online and you just don't know what your kids have seen, actually, especially if you've handed them your devices and not had parental controls and not been able to see what's on the screen. And so there is a chance that as kids get, certainly as kids get older and older, we know they find porn. By, by the time boys are 11, half of them have found porn or porn has found them. But I have heard from plenty of families who have four and five and six-year-olds where they forget to put parental controls on their own phones, right? Oh my because they, they think about mm -hmm. it on the family devices, but then they hand their phone and it really doesn't take a whole lot for a kid to start seeing an image. And it's not that they'll be able to articulate it to you necessarily, but it's a good reason to stop and think about what you're giving your kid and when and how, because I don't think a four-year-old is ready to have a conversation about intercourse. I just don't. But if they've had unfettered access and they might have seen something and they have questions around it, then you may need some help managing that. And that's where I would probably involve someone who knows a lot about how to, how to have those dialogues, a therapist who can help you navigate that because that's complicated. Mm -hmm. So don't give your kids screens <laughs> just, to, just to give them screens. Right. What about if a toddler says, maybe a four or five-year-old says, what are testicles for? Because oh, that, that's... yes. They are the sperm-making factories. <laughs> that's what they Perfect. are. They make something called sperm. And then you stop there. Yeah. And you stop. And, and okay. some will say, what's sperm? Oh, then you answer that. Sperm in someone with testicles can meet up with an egg and someone with a vagina. And that's what makes a baby. That's all. And then you're one sentence. I've said this before, but I honestly cannot say it enough that I think sometimes we project that it's going to go in this long conversation. And over these uncomfortable things, if you really just give just the necessary information and just not word vomit and let them, let them ask otherwise, I'd say with Bryce, we've had a lot of pretty heavy conversations and he, he doesn't ask further. It's just like, it's matter of fact. And he moves on and he's like, mom, what's, what's going in the garbage truck this afternoon? Like we just move on forward. I think that's exactly right. Also, it's it's interesting that when we sit with the silence in the conversation, it really helps us to understand when our kids are ready for more and when they're not. If there is a pause after you say your one sentence, you don't have to fill it. Just sit with it for a minute. If they're done with the conversation, they'll let you know. If they want to pivot, they'll let you know. And if they want more, they'll let you know. And I think it's important to circle back to how Cara started, which was, oh, that's so interesting. Where did that question come from, right? We want to know the origin of it. And we also want to clarify the information they have and define terms because we are adults and we forget all of the language and words that we know the definitions of, but there's so many words that kids don't know what they mean. And so it's not just, you know, obviously testicles or 
conversations about when they get older about pornography or conversations on more complex topics. There's other terms that they may not even know what they are. And we want to make sure that we're at a level playing field and starting with definitions of things. And you can say, hey, you know, I was just going to say something. It's, I don't know, do you know what testicles are? And you know, and then they can say no, or they can say yes. And then you say, oh, so explain them to me. And then they'll probably give you an explanation that has nothing to do with what testicles are. And then you can clarify (laughs) exactly what they are. Okay, let's talk real quick about Green Chef. You heard us talk about them last week because we are loving their meal kits. And now we've got an amazing discount code for you because they're a sponsor of the show. And I've been trying Green Chef recently and I have no idea why I waited so long. We're all about making easy, nutritious meals that also fits our busy on-the-go lifestyle. And Green Chef is just so good. They are a meal kit delivery company that simply put, makes meals easy so that you can spend less time stressing or ordering out and more time enjoying delicious home-cooked meals. Their recipes are delicious and they offer recipes to fit your preferences and eating habits. So whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just wanting convenient balanced meals, Green Chef is for you. We've been ordering the plant-powered meals to fill in a couple meals a week and have been loving them. They're made with fresh produce, premium protein, and organic ingredients that I trust. The chef-created recipes are delicious, but what sold me is Green Chef's convenience and quality of the ingredients. The sauces, dressings, and spices come pre-made and pre-measured, which is such a time saver. And the pre-portioned and easy-to-follow recipes make cooking a breeze. I recently made the Moroccan-style green pea fritters, and it was such a hit. What I found is getting them delivered each week straight to our door has really forced me to cook at home in a good way. I always intend to do that, but realized without the convenience, I wasn't doing as much as I wanted. Green Chef is a parent's dream come true. So go to greenchef.com slash full 130 and use code full 130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash full 130 and use code full 130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. It's the number one meal kit for eating well, and you're going to thank us for this one. Now let's get back to the episode. Diapering. So Bryce, he's, well, he's potty trained during the day, but still wears a diaper at night. And about a week ago, we had to put some more diaper cream in there. And it's like, he's so aware. It's not like he's a baby anymore. And so he's like, no mama, no, I don't want it there or whatever. Would that be a situation where you give him the diaper cream on his finger and let him do it? Yes. Okay. And just say, here, I'm going to let you do it because you're in control of your own body. But then what do we do after we put it on? Wash our hands, like complete the act, make sure, you know, you walk him through and and you can say, and if you really don't like it when you're done with your diaper, I think we're pretty much done with this diaper cream. If you're looking for little incentives there. That's, that's fantastic. And you can say, you can validate, like, I'm so glad that you told me what felt comfortable to you and what didn't. That's wonderful. Thank you for telling me, right? You want to validate when he expresses what feels good and what doesn't feel good or feels comfortable or not comfortable. That's terrific. And that is that encourages them because so often kids get the message that they're not in charge of their own bodies and that adults get to determine mm-hmm. who's in charge and who touches them and who doesn't. And to reverse that paradigm is really wonderful for kids. 
That makes so much sense. And it's so easy for them to learn that because so naturally it's like, we're the stronger one. We're the one that has like an end goal. Like we know you need diaper cream on, so we're just going to do it or complete the act. Now, let's say people out there have teenagers. And so your kid asked about where do babies come from or how are they made? And it's the sperm in the vagina, but like how much of a birds and bees conversation do we have to have with them? Like, what does that actually look like? So I just want to mirror back the language of that question because it's so interesting to me. We all ask that question. How much of a conversation do we have to have with them? And the answer is you get to have it with them, (laughs) right? Because if you don't get to have it with them, someone else gets to have it with them. And I think that it's the rare parent who doesn't want to empower their kid to be able to make good decisions and to be, as Vanessa started us off in the very beginning, to be safe. Right. Absolutely. Um, our goal, and this with one, two, three, and four-year-olds, this feels a zillion years off. But our goals as parents are to have kids who grow up to have loving sexual relationships. Right. So if we start off by demonizing it, by running away from the conversation, by making the, the conversation, a lecture, there are a million ways that we can turn sex conversations negative, then we have sort of derailed that path ever so slightly. Our job is to get our kids through childhood safe and healthy. And one of the metrics of that is that they are able to have safe and healthy romantic relationships and sexual relationships. So I think that it's going to be different, not just in every house, but for every child parent dyad. So even for one child, the relationship with one parent or one caretaker is going to look and feel different than the relationship with another. And the way that conversation goes and when it happens is going to be different. And in a house with three kids, I 100% guarantee they're all going to go at their own pace and they're all going to ask at different times. Traditionally, the younger ones grow up a little sooner because they have these older siblings who are also incredible fountains of information for them and they become the informants (laughs) in many ways. But if you establish yourself as someone who is willing to have the conversation every time they ask, not only will they ask and continue to ask, but their friends will ask you. Their friends will come to you as the safe person because suddenly there's a conversation that is off limits at their house that you can help out with. And it's incredible to help your own kid. Don't get me wrong. But when a kid who doesn't have that comes to you, you know you've done something right. Vanessa, do you have anything mm-hmm. to add? I was going to say that was my house as growing up. My parents were the ones that got all the questions. Yep. Right. Because they were an open door and they were probably non-judgmental, and they were easy to talk to. I mean, the the truth is it's not, everyone bills it as the talk, but it's a, it's a million tiny conversations. And what that does is if you think of it like a spiral and as your kids get older, the conversation happens again in more and more sophisticated and complex ways. And you cover age-appropriate topics that maybe you didn't cover when they were younger. So what it sounds like to explain, you know, making a baby to a four-year-old sounds different to an eight-year-old, to a 12-year-old, to an 18-year-old. And it also takes the pressure off of us, right? If we feel like we have to give them all the information in one sitting, it's really stressful because we're like, oh, we're going to 
mess it up. I don't know how to do this. But if we say, I'm just going to give my kid one piece of information about their body today, oh, well, that's not that stressful. Or I'm going to explain one way a family is made, right? There's all different ways to do it so that it's not so overwhelming. Because also our kids don't want to be lectured. They don't want us to dump all that information in one fell swoop. They want us just a sentence here, a sentence there, and then they can actually digest it and there's space to ask questions as opposed to like a whole monologue from a parent to a kid. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is going to be music to a lot of parents' ears. (laughs) Just kind of takes that pressure off. Like, okay, it's not this huge conversation. It's not a scary conversation. It's just how are we going to keep our bodies safe and our kids safe? I have this history in my office where this happens all the time. I ask a kid when they're alone in a room getting examined, oh, have you talked about sex with your parents? And the kid says, never, that we have never had a conversation about any of it. And then done examining the kid and they're getting dressed and I'm in my office and talk to the parent. And I say to the parent, so have you had any conversations about sex? Oh, yes. And they describe in great detail exactly how the one or two conversations went, which were really big deals for the parents and totally washed over the kids. The kids didn't even notice. And so it's another reminder (laughs) that it needs to be a million little conversations because what's a big deal to you, this one big talk, most of them don't even notice. (laughs) It is a nothing burger (laughs) to them. And so just take it little bits at a time. I love that, that spiral analogy, just keep going and going and going, mm-hmm. just little pieces. Is there anything else we need to know? Like what, what do we have coming with our little toddlers that we're probably unaware of right now? Well, I, I'll say one thing to language, because I think language is complicated, especially today, but it's always been complicated. So we, we have this bucket of words, bad words, Right body parts have been put in the bad word bucket for a really long time. I would encourage you as parents to not have a bucket of bad words and instead to talk about why some words are not okay to use. And there are some words that are simply not okay to use. They may show up in different parts of our lives and your kids may be exposed to that language and it's still not okay language, or it might be different from house to house. What is acceptable in one setting, maybe not in another. But I would I would throw away the concept of a bad word because I think in the context of this conversation, so many of the topics we just talked about get put there and then kids feel like they've just done something naughty by having the conversation or they've sort of put their toe in a water that they're not supposed to. So yeah, the shame. And on the flip side, if they are in a house where parents are giving them this information, right? You you may feel like, okay, it's time to talk about this subject. They may have friends who come from families who are not yet talking about that. And it's not our responsibility to educate other people's children and it's not our kids. Well, I guess it's car and my responsibility because we have a <laughs> podcast about it. But in normal life, you know, if you've chosen to explain what sex is to your child and they may get to school and say, guess what? 
my mom told me what sex is. And then, you know, that kid goes home and says, oh, well, Jessica's family's talking all about sex all the time. It's all they ever talk about. So when you do give your kids information, if you feel like other people aren't quite there yet, you can say, listen, in our family, we're choosing to talk about this because we think it's really important to keep you healthy and safe, but not every family is talking about this yet. And so we just want you to keep that in our family. You may end up in the position, and Jessica, maybe your parents did end up in this position where people specifically go to those adults who they know will answer their question. So in my, and Car, you may handle this differently. We've both been sort of appointed guides on these topics because this is what we do for a living. But I will often say if a kid asks me, I want to get the permission from your parents to talk about this because this is really important. And if your parent wants to be the one to tell you this information, I don't want to take away that privilege, right? So instead of it being, this is a secret, this is serious, I'm going to tell you, but don't tell anyone. Instead, you flip you flip the narrative and you say, this is a really special opportunity and I want to make sure if your parent wants to tell them, tell you about it, I want to make sure that your parent has the opportunity. And again, it's like, this is a good thing. This is an exciting yeah. thing. This is a positive thing. This is not a shameful or dark or secretive thing that, that we can't talk about. And along those same lines, and I'm sure this has come up in so many conversations that you guys have had, it's really important to leave our judgments at the door. It's so easy to judge why other parents do things or just to judge what they do. Does it? It's not, that's not our job. And I think we don't want to be judged by others. And it is on us to teach our kids how to not judge. So the way Vanessa worded that, where she said, you know, you can say to your kid, we talk about this in our family. But we, you know, this is not necessarily news for you to share with other kids because they may not talk about it in theirs. That was a judgment-free way of saying it. It wasn't their parents don't care about them and love them and want them to grow up <laughs> safe and healthy and they're not having these conversations, right? And we do that. I mean, again, we do this for a living and we mess it up 101 ways in our own house. These are not easy strategies to implement. They are much easier to say on this podcast than they are in real time when the heat is turned up and, and emotions are, are boiling over, but try to leave judgment aside. Amen to that. I think honestly, everything in parenting, that's part of why Haley and I do this is there's so much judgment that goes around about everything, parenting or not. And it's, we just have to kind of approach these conversations or ideas or anything with just being more open-minded, right? Just hearing where people are coming from, make sure, I mean, that would be a goal for me not to pass that down to Bryce. So I love that. And I've loved yeah, this conversation. Oh, I've loved Thank this. Thank you. going to re-listen and just take in all the new language because that is so incredibly helpful. Well, it's been great talking to you guys. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you found something meaningful from this episode. Please follow the show, rate, and don't hesitate to write a little review. We also have a voicemail box you can call to ask us any questions, tell us the topics you'd like covered, or just share where you're struggling and how you could use some extra support. Call 833-444-FULL or 833-444-3855. We want to hear from you. And tune in every Monday for a new episode of Meaningful Living. And if you're looking for more ways to live a meaningful life, follow us on Instagram at Meaningful Living and visit our website, MeaningfulLiving.com. 
And don't forget with two L's. Can't wait to see you next week.